Hey T. <laughs> hey S. <laughs> Long time no see. How's your week been? It's been good. I hear you have an announcement to oh my make. God. This is my <laughs> first time celebrating Lesbian Visibility Week. While I don't know what exactly I identify with, I still think it's kind of fun. I think it was funny because once I was like, I just want to be bi because the colors are prettier. <laughs> the flag <laughs> colors, but I'm like something about the lesbian flag like the sunset it's gorgeous or like it's like sunset yeah. colors so but yeah oh and so it's funny because one thing that i was when i was talking to my therapist about they were telling me to honor my queer self every day i'm like that's so sweet but also kind of cringe in a funny way <laughs> like, like self-affirmation yeah, in the mirror i have to honor honor my queerness <laughs> like, like what do you do for that i don't know but it just it just i just can't coming back to that because i feel like we'll eventually talk about this but everything in our culture is like suppressed and yeah. like hide and put away and like yeah. literally go back to the closet yeah so i'm like okay i get to honor it i'm gonna wear my queer shirt of the day or like mm. take myself out and honor welcome to the hidden rainbow the podcast that delves into the complexities of being south asian and queer in america i'm your host t and i'm your other host s In each episode, we'll be exploring the unique experiences, struggles, and triumphs of South Asian Americans in the LGBTQ community. Happy Lesbian Visibility Week! From grappling with cultural expectations and prejudices to navigating relationships with family and community, we will be candid with our guests about our journey in coming out and finding community and creating their own definition of what it means to be South Asian and queer. So whether you're South Asian, LGBTQ, an ally, or just curious, we invite you to join us on this journey, self-discovery and acceptance. Let's start the hidden rainbow together. I quickly wanted to pop in here and express that there is a trigger warning. At the end, we talk about sexual harassment and sexual violence within the South Asian community. So if you don't want to hear it, you can skip the end. Okay, so to get started, I think the first thing we should do is kind of set the scene of our queer journey. I think the, f- the first thing maybe just how you've experienced it and then maybe ending up when you came out and like your feelings about that. Yeah, so I started questioning myself the most in high school because I was surrounded by a lot of queer people. But again, like I wasn't surrounded by many South Asian queer people. So the picture in my mind of what a queer po- person was supposed to be was like a white person who dressed a certain way and looked a certain way. At the same time, I was still very attracted to men as well, so any queer thoughts that I was having were kind of pushed under the surface and not really addressed by me because I didn't think that it was a huge deal and I kind of didn't like that part of me and I wasn't accepting it. But eventually, I had the encouragement of coming out when I met some of my boyfriend's friends, actually. He had a friend who identifies as they, them. They were a white queer, but at that point I hadn't had like a bad experience with white queers. I was just so excited to meet a queer person. That was another thing in itself. But yeah, so I met, I became close with this girl who ended up being my roommate for the following year in college. And she came out to me as well. And so after that, I kind of felt encouraged to be able to express my feelings because at that point I had like a close friend who was also queer. So I let her know that, you know, I was also queer. But I feel like she maybe thought I was like copying her or or something. Yeah, yeah, stealing her thunder or something. Okay, so I re-recorded this part 
a couple of times so there's definitely going to be an audio change and the app that i'm using to edit this podcast isn't like the most high tech (laughs) yeah like a high tech kind of app so i apologize for the inconvenience to your ears Um, (laughs) or like the inconsistency but yeah i think the reason t did that is just wanting to get their stories like accurate and how they want to present it so i hope you can bear with us and yeah yeah um okay so the two things i wanted to talk about we just talked about it with s um is i want to discuss how i want to discuss biphobia and i want to discuss feeling lost in the queer community being bi and being south asian and then yeah so i'll start off with the biphobia um actually no i'll start off with the, I feel like the story yeah like, okay um, yeah so um my sophomore year of college is when i like f- like first started being like openly queer and i wasn't really around the best people for that it's not like these people were bad people i just think they didn't understand how this experience would be different for me because of the color of my skin and i didn't fully understand that either so it was just this weird kind of experience um i remember like having this thought of like i'm like openly bi now and i if i'm bi if i'm attracted to women then i should at least have been with a woman once like that was just some weird thought that i had in my mind i I totally get that yeah not to interrupt you but um i think at one point in my life i was like and once in my life i just have to be with a woman just to see and just to make sure like yeah i feel like a lot of our life is like you need proof Mm -hmm. and a lot of the world works like that so like why doesn't this like apply to our situation yeah so where was i (laughs) sorry i like totally got you Um, no no you're all good i like when you add stuff um where was i make sure to make sure that like oh yeah so it wasn't i don't know if it was like a make sure that i was gay it was just a like i don't want to look back when i'm 40 years old and be like i wish I yeah i wish i did something because now i'm married with kids like i can't do this anymore yes um yes and i only say married with kids is because or like in a heterosexual relationship at the year 40 years old when i am 40 years old is because i have i have a boyfriend i've been with him since high school so at this point in time i've been with him for about four years and we've gone through some crazy ups and downs this whole situation being a crazy down for us um and yeah we've gone through a lot together and we've grown a lot together so he is my rock he's my best friend he is everything to me and i just don't see myself at this point in life ending that relationship or seeing that relationship end um so yeah back to the story i tell stories really badly so if you can't follow i apologize (laughs) again (laughs) um so back to the story uh sophomore year of college i'm having all these thoughts about it and so i have a very serious discussion with my boyfriend and we decide that um 
were kind of going to open the relationship and that I was going to go on some like dating apps and talk to people, maybe go on a couple of dates with women and just see where that goes just because it wasn't like a weird thing. I don't know. I feel like that sounds weird because like I just I think you were very comfortable in your relationship where like yeah. he understood that you needed to do this for yourself and it yeah. didn't mean you loved him any less, but you were still like what is going on yeah and it that it wasn't one of those situations where it's like two girls make out in front of a guy yeah, like yeah. whatever it was like or very like join, join our threesome because i've yeah. seen so many yeah it's <laughs> absolutely not like that we didn't want to have like threesomes or do anything like that it was solely a you're gonna have this experience by yourself um if you want to talk about it with me you can talk about it with me but i would prefer that you not because this were this situation was just very painful for him for obvious reasons um and because of that i kept going back and forth it was really painful for me too because i'm very for in order for me to like you there needs to be a very like deep and genuine connection it's not just on the surface physical level like matching with someone on tinder i couldn't just go on a date with them so being on these dating apps i never actually went on a date because it was just it wasn't as connected as like what you were used to yeah and love to have yeah and be further being on these i was like i'm going to have to like end this relationship with my boyfriend in order to start a new potential thing that i don't even know if i want to have so I went back and forth a lot. It was really difficult for me. Like a lot of things were going in my brain and it was just really, a really weird time. But at the end of the day, like I ended up not like going on dates or doing anything with anybody. Um, and me and my boyfriend are still together and um, whatever. But during this whole debacle of a situation, um, my roommate, Um, had gone through a kind of similar situation where she had a boyfriend, um, she wanted to experiment, be with women, not necessarily experiment, but she wanted to be with a woman, and after she discovered that, she thought she was bi. So, it was a situation that I talked to her about a lot because I was just like, I don't know, I feel like you would have some really good insight on how I'm feeling as well. Like, you probably have felt the things I'm feeling before, so... Is there any advice you can give me? Um, And for a while, like, she was very nice. But because it kept going so back and forth. And when I say back and forth, we were, like, like for, like, six months. This was, like, a whole issue for me of downloading Tinder, deleting Tinder, downloading Tinder, deleting Tinder. So it was very back and forth for everyone. And I completely understand why she was like, dude, fuck this. Stop talking to me about it. Um... (laughs) (laughs) okay no (laughs) but keep going um but I think there was just so many other things in my relationship that I was having with this roommate where she would make me feel so horrible for being bi because at this point she was discovering that she thought she might be a lesbian because she had a girlfriend and she was like I could just never see myself with a man ever again and that's a very common pipeline of like <laughs> thinking you're bi and then being with women being like i'm lesbian um but doesn't yeah. mean you should discount your bi like other bi people but... yeah um so 
she would just make a lot of snarky comments to me and my other roommate because my other roommate was also kind of bi-curious at the time and I specifically remember this time where she asked my other roommate hey like are you still questioning and my other roommate was like no I think ultimately that I'm straight that I like men a lot more than I like women and she was like, well, that's not something you should be proud about. And she was like, <laughs> yeah. My other roommate was like, I didn't even say I was proud. Like, I was just telling you my experience. Yeah. Like, you asked. It's just, okay. So, one of the things I, re- like, noticed is sometimes white queers like to, and I think sometimes I, even I've done this and I try not to do this as much anymore, is, like, like parade their queerness around and, like, make straight people feel bad for it. If there is a point of, like, I make jokes sometimes of, like, how happy i am to be queer but that's only to like help me remind myself to be proud but to like actively make straight people feel bad for it is a little bit weird yeah um and i don't know as a person of color you always have this thing in the back of your mind of like when someone is being mean to you is it because they are mean and they're like being mean you did something maybe or they're just like upon meeting you they're mean and that's just because they're mean Or is it because of the color of your skin and something about the way you look is off-putting to them? And throughout this time that I spent with her, I, she would say bad things about, like, the movies we would watch. I watch Om Shanti Om at least 16 times a year. One of these people. Okay, so, like, actually the race, like, low-key racist gay people, which there are a lot. Like, especially in, like, gay men, I've heard, like, stories where like white gay men are super racist and yeah. not just i'm not stereotyping apologize for that but i'm just saying there have been instances in the community that have been like shown so hearing this like a lot of pieces are coming together uh, yeah. um my other roommate showed her this movie called 83 which um has runveer sing in it um it was a movie about like in patriotism towards india and cricket and it was just a very, like, inspiring movie to my a other roommate. <laughs> yeah, my other roommate was just very inspired. She was, like, watching this movie, like, was just so eye-opening for me. I felt so heard and so seen, and I, like, I felt an outpouring love for India watching this movie. And she showed us this movie. For me, I was like, this, I'm tired. This is really long. I've been through a really <laughs> long day. I just don't really want to watch this. But for her, she sat there and complained about the movie every three seconds. And I was like, dude... Just go to your room then if you yeah. don't want to watch it. Like, yeah. It, yeah. nobody's but- forcing you to sit here and be here. And on top of that, like, I made it a point to go to my way and try to make her feel included in things sometimes because I was like, okay, she's not brown and she's living with two brown people. So she might feel a little ostracized here. So I would try to watch RuPaul's Drag Race with her. It's a show that I don't particularly like. Because of the way that some people act. Controversial, but I understand where you're coming from. And, like, also there's, like, a lack of, again, South Asian people in there. Hmm. Link to episode four where I talk about that. Eventually. (laughs) (laughs) Or episode three, I'm not super sure. Yeah, we'll, we talk about that. But um, I totally get that where I think that's actually happened with my roommates. And um, I, I think I've compartmentalized that and just, like, moved on with my life. But, like, reopening that would be interesting and I feel like that's a lot where my conflicts came from with them is like they share an experience with me but they also don't share an experience with me so I wanted to like I I'm proud of 
being South Asian. So I wanted to share my secondary experience that they don't share. But seeing them like hate on it and like try not to understand it is like frustrating. And like I get some things I just would not understand because that's not the culture they grew up in. But also at the same time, they once made a comment of like wishing they were part of another culture. So it's just like very strange and it's like them taking the positive, cool, like white parts of our culture that like are acceptable, but not listening to like what we are proud of. Yeah. And in retrospect, looking back on the relation, the other relationships that my roommate, my ex-roommate had, they were predominantly white. She did not really talk to any people of color. Um, the people of color that she did talk to were mixed and a lot of them were white passing. So I like me and my other roommate were just like the only people of, of color she like knew closely. Yeah. And she would routinely talk about how like some of the other people of color and her like some of the un- other Indian people that she used to go to school with, she didn't like them. And I don't think it was be- mainly because they were Indian, but I don't know if she like just associated something about that within her head, but yeah. It it gets tricky, but at the same time it's just like being the first person to introduce a culture to someone like I'm now realizing is like kind of scary and like off-putting and it just feels weird and I hope like people who are getting introduced to especially brown culture like take some time to reflect and like first not make a spectacle of it and like not be weird because I think there's two sides of weird where they're like oh my god so much color wow turmeric and there's also (laughs) like the side that's just like low-key racist so Like, just be a normal person. I don't know how hard that is. Yeah. I mean, it's just, these are things that I'm thinking about, thinking about in retrospect. So I don't know for sure if, like, these were things that were actually going through their mind or if they were just, um, like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, maybe they were just going through some other experience that I wasn't aware of or something, but... I experienced what I would identify as biphobia from them and they would go out of their way when they would see my boyfriend to make him feel bad about himself and be like call him a straight white man and I was like how do you even know for sure that he's straight like have you asked him but she would just assume a lot of things about our relationship and would go around telling people that we should break up (laughs) so I don't know if it's part of her insecurity because as a white person, she can't make fun of other people other than straight white right. men. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Just saying. Um, yeah, but there was just... it. That experience with her left me really lost because I was, like, mentally putting myself back into the closet because I was like, okay, if I'm not doing certain things and I already feel wrong about this aspect of me because of my culture and my family and my parents not that my parents are bad people it's just the culture it's not as accepting yeah it's not as accepting and so I already felt like I was doing something that was wrong and on top of that she was making me feel like I was be doing being gay wrong so (laughs) which is crazy because the whole point of being in this community is like we're wrong in so many other aspects like society tells us so like this is a place where we're supposed to feel safe but in the community there's people telling us you're doing it wrong and like what does that even mean like i'm living my experience you're living yours 
like I don't have to prove anything to you I'm not asking you to do the same so just like leave me alone yeah um but I did like learn a lot about what friendship is supposed to look like from that relationship after like upon meeting S and some (laughs) other South Asian queers I was like okay I feel at home because I remember the first time I saw you I was the first time I saw you with that in that joint like that club that we were both in. I was just like, mm, <laughs> I feel like she's queer, and I like didn't know how to ask you. I was just like, so. Because <laughs> no, I remember, um, because we're on the same dance team, we were at a Taco Bell, and I was wearing this like shirt, which I'll I actually like it's that pink shirt and has a flag on it, and you're like, oh, what does this mean? I like. <laughs> forgot i straight up asked him like oh are you queer because i was like so excited yeah and i was like wait i can't i should out someone <laughs> whoops and like luckily you're like you pass it off like nicely and like i think that's the first like real connection like we made and i'm like yeah. very happy about that yeah so and then upon that our like friendship just like grew we started talking about shared experiences and different aspects and yeah and I remember, like, you were driving me home from one of the dance parties or whatever, <laughs> um, and you were like, God, I just sometimes white queers. And I was like, <laughs> like, I felt this, like, heavenly light come on me, and I was like, oh, like, you understood? Yes. Like, I was like, wait, so you've had this experience, too? Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not alone. Like, it was just such a weird, like, not a weird, it was such a, like, validating experience to hear that you're a person of color, you're also South Asian and queer, and you also are kind of more femme presenting. So I was like, this is really nice. I am, <laughs> like, I'm as gay as I need to be. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I'm not, like... You don't need to overperform, like... Yeah. Like, you're supposed to live your life for yourself. So, like, what other people, especially people you're supposed to trust who say this is a safe community, tell you you're doing incorrectly, that, like, that's not acceptable. Yeah. But... Moving on to my parents' reaction. <laughs> um, my, I first came out to my mom on a whim, kind of. I like throughout my entire childhood, I kind of felt like I was gay. So like sometimes I would just be like, "Hey, I like, what if I was gay?" And she'd be like, "Oh, you know, like I would still accept you and love you. Like, I don't really care." Um, so going into telling my mom I was like she's gonna be accepting like she's always like even when I've told her I have gay friends she was like oh that's nice like good for you like she didn't really care so when I like told her I was like I think I'm bi she was like what in the hell does that even mean (laughs) um and it was just I think the movie everything everywhere all at once is just so it really explains like how this dynamic of being an Asian and being queer of like it's not like she hated me or she hated this part of me she just didn't understand it and she was like I just need to do more like I don't understand this I don't know what this means like I didn't grow up in a place where people even like said that they were gay so I don't even know what this means like what does this mean for you what does this mean for your future what does this mean for our family and I was like I don't know (laughs) like I think a lot of like immigrant families like in order for them to succeed they had to have the answers to life like they had to have everything planned out or else there's no way that they could have made it here yeah so like us being like i don't exactly know what this means is very scary to them and they want to they want to protect us from that and like 
I very much see that light. But I think the the, the biggest issues with me and what, that I'm going to eventually talk about is like when the protectiveness comes at like combating who I am and like not believing who I am and like treating my experiences as like a, like a phase like every like people like I feel like a lot of people feel mm-hmm. that but it's like thinking that it's gonna pass or it's just like a mental thing and like that could come from culture which they've been taught that but if they truly felt the love for us like I just wish they would listen and just like try to grasp what we're giving and at least like explore and understand what this what this means yeah and as I'll talk about later in this same episode um she would ask like certain questions that kind of like were off-putting and I know she never like meant it to be off-putting but she would just like she was like I want to know more and I was like Google exists but she was like no like I don't think I'm gonna find what I need on Google like I want you to answer these questions so there were certain like things like she was like do this does mean you like your best friend does this mean you're gonna start cross-dressing and I was like no me and my best friend are like just really close friends like this doesn't mean anything different about my relationship with girls. Exactly. It just means sometimes there are girls that I've seen that I have found attractive and that I've liked. Yeah. Um, and it was just really hard for her to come to terms with. And we ended up, like, having a fight of, like, she was like, have you told your dad yet? And I was like, no, can you please not tell him? I just want to tell him by myself. Like, And I'm kind of hesitant, too, at the moment because I don't know if he's going to react, like, similarly to how you did. And I just maybe just need the space to, like, figure out how to tell him. And she ended up yelling it. Like, I don't think she was, like, yelling it to yell on purpose and, like, out me on purpose. But she ended up yelling it in the house and he was, like, in the room next door. So he heard, obviously. And he was, like have you liked a girl before and I was like yeah and he was like okay Okay. (laughs) yeah he was just very like just very a dad about like very dad about it and I love my dad he is like one of the funniest people that I've met I get my like dry humor like yeah my humor and like a lot of like great aspects from him but he's a very like he suppresses everything (laughs) So I think, I personally think he forgot that I told him. (laughs) And I still think my mom thinks it's a phase. So I told her I'm doing this podcast. So I don't know how she feels about it. If she's listening to this episode right now, I don't know. I don't know what she's going to (laughs) say. But yeah. Um, So I think three years after, this is, this episode is coming out three years post me coming out to my parents so at this point in our relationship we've gone there's been some pretty like horrible things that happened earlier this year and it's brought my family at least my relationship with my parents a lot closer and I think my mom is really going out of her way to show me how much she loves me and how unconditional that her love is not that she hasn't done that before but it, I just feel, like, very unconditionally loved by her right now and my parents. So, yeah. That's my coming out story. All right. Asa, do you want to go into your story? Yeah. So, I think, I maybe other people feel this, but I feel like I have a little bit of disjointed where I can probably pinpoint sometime in my early childhood where 
there was random instances, but I think my brain wasn't developed enough to, like, distinguish man from woman, where it was mm-hmm. just, just, like, wow, like, whatever. Yeah. But I think, again, it was, like, you, it was in high school where, so something about me is I'm very, like, expressive in my fashion. I think it's, like, it's either, like, a tool or, like, a weapon I like to use, and I think in high school especially, specifically, because I wasn't openly queer, I, like, experimented with my fashion a lot, and, like, kind of played in genders with that where it's funny like a lot of people in my life have called me out on being gay even if I haven't said anything I remember this one guy was trying to make fun of me saying like oh you look like a lesbian I'm like oh cool (laughs) where I feel like most people would be like offended but I was like I don't think so like I don't know I don't know how I feel about that and I just remember at the end of high school I was like deciding between colleges and I'm like if I go to this other college I'll be in a more liberal city for sure come out at that point I didn't like verbally express it to myself but I knew that there was some attraction to women even though I never had a crush on a girl and then came college where it was randomly a situation but I got close to three people and two of those people were queer so they're the first like you said queer people I've met and that first person was the first openly queer person I met and they were white queer so there's that but they also had a situation where their parents would have never accepted, but they were still so open about who they were and just like lived their life. And I eventually got a crush on her and like was really messy and it was mostly my fault. And she didn't let me back, which is her thing, which I like things happen, right? But that's really when I started understanding who I was and navigating that. And I really fell into that. And that's around the time when I told my friends because I was just, it just felt like me. It just felt like my identity. And I think. Now, after coming out, I have some, I have to like, that part is tricky because at that time I was so assured of myself and I was so assured of like, I like women and I I identify as she, her, but from there. So I started realizing that like my attraction for guys was just kind of waning. Like I had dated a couple of guys, but it's just like, it just didn't feel right at all. And it just, I think sometimes it was almost too overwhelming. And during COVID, I just stopped dating altogether, but I still knew I was gay and I liked women. And I think I'm at a point now where there's one thing for sure I know is that I like and love women, but I still am questioning my attraction to men. Now, leading up to my coming out story, it's pretty new and it's definitely a difficult situation to navigate in which like I was kind of forced to. There's, There's a lot of talk or like if you know South Asian people where parents have tricky boundaries with their kids and like to know everything and there's no concept of privacy or, or like like you can't take your life away from them. They should, at least how my family is raised, they should know a lot of things about your life. So when my life started slowing down from school because I'm graduating soon, my parents started prying a little bit more and being questioning why I was hanging out with somewhere or like they, they felt like they didn't know where I was. and they had heard some things from their friends of like, you never truly know your child. So one day they kind of sat me down and they were asking me about dating. And at this point I had known that they knew some of my white lies and I thought they knew more than they did. And and also at this moment, I just knew, I always told myself if my parents asked me directly if I was gay, like there's no way I could hide it. It's just not in my personality. It's super hard for me to lie about that. So I ended up blurring it out and It was kind of a reverse of what I thought would happen because I thought my dad would literally not accept it. He would be super against it and my mom would be the one because 
in life I've always been closer to her. She's always told me and she's always shown me how much she's loved me. I really deeply understood that, but I felt that's where some of the facade cracked because she was like really in shock and said so many things that were shocking to her and shocking to me. And I don't think it was an appropriate situation or appropriate response at all, but I think it was just the shock of her understanding this. Well, did she ask you any really hurtful questions? It was more about how could you do this to me? Mm. How could you do this? How did this happen? When did you make this decision? Mm. And it's it was almost like some of the things she said, I it's borderline emotionally abusive. I've been through training on like what emotionally yeah. abusive words are and I can tell that and I was also in such a vulnerable position, so it was just a lot and even like the day after when we discussed it, she was like, You need to think realistically. And I think that's the thing about everything always leans back to realisticness and fear. Yeah. But luckily my dad in the moment is very understanding and he said he always knew and he could always tell. And while the language he used was not the best, I know he was trying, but I think... Did you kind of feel validated when he said that he could always tell or... I don't like how that sounds. I just think it's a weird... It's not about you. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not... I don't know. I think, but also, like, when my sister said it, I felt validated. But when he said it... Maybe it was the tone he was using or something. Yes, it was more like condescending. Mm. Like, oh, you're not so good at hiding it. I wasn't trying to hide it. Yeah. I, I was trying to be as Just be as myself. Exactly. Yeah. Like, especially in the way, he's like, I knew from the way you're dressed. I'm like, good. Like, that's what I was trying to, I was expressing myself. I don't use fashion to hide myself. I use fashion to express how I feel in the moment. But I think his overall message was like, he understood and he especially, he travels a lot. And he has a, a keen understanding of the world where my mom focused on the family more and was not that doesn't really understand and she has some other things but I think I'm going through that trauma today <laughs> I just haven't recovered from this personally there have been things in my life after the situation where it should have been more traumatic specifically I had other traumatic situations happen but this was still the most traumatic thing and I think our all of our relationship dynamic is still recovering and I don't know if it's going to go backwards or forwards, and I think I've struggled a lot because of it. So at the end of the day, I really wish I didn't come out, but here we are. (laughs) Based on my research, you know, there's a specific structure to how we as Indians live our lives, and you've kind of described that throughout your story. It's the concept of settling down is big, and veering away from the norm causes major backlash. In an article written by Dar. I've sacrificed a lot growing up in LGBTQ India. Dar describes Sora's story of coming out. He describes an awful experience in which his coming out caused a lot of emotional and physical distress for the people in his family. His mother ended up in the hospital because of dehydration and stuff like that, just because she was so shocked. It was clearly not something he would have done if he had a choice, you know? I feel either of us wouldn't have had a choice. It's just part of who we are. And I personally, like, don't quote-unquote lying. I'm very honest about who I am. And they would have found out either way. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's the same for you. I think that's something that my therapist really pointed out this time or, like, in session is, like, I'm such a people pleaser. Like, if I could turn myself straight, I would have. But it's such a core part of my identity and how I think and how I am. It's just so central to who I am. Yeah. That I guess my parents will never understand, like, how much I did have. Not that I sacrificed for them, but, like, how much... I, like, went into, like, what they wanted just so they were happy. Yeah. And this causes a lot of 
self-esteem issues and low confidence issues in South Asian Americans and South Asian queers in general is the what will people say aspect of it. My mom said, you know, if you marry a woman, no one's coming to your wedding. No one's going to support that. Your family will disown you. I think the thing is my mom hasn't even processed this at Mm -hmm. all, but I think at least from my dad's side, I think in the beginning when he was like consoling me, he had a lot of hope and then now he doesn't. But in terms of what will other people think, he's very strong in terms of an F you to everyone else. And Mm -hmm. he was really willing. And I think my mom is a little unique situation because I think the people in her family would understand because there is a queer relationship that's happened in the family. It's just that I know her first thought is what are people going to think? And her first thought always is what are people going to think? And yeah. it's not just family. It's the close friends. It's like people are, it's our neighbors. It's, and I think it's mostly because they feel it reflects on their parenting. Exactly. Yeah. Where she thinks it's going to be, it's the concept of what will people say and coming out to your South Asian family is like seen as wrong. We talked in the last episode. It's like a Western ideal. It's like, why are you trying to be like the white people? Which I wanted to put a disclaimer in here. We are not against white queers. (laughs) I feel like we kind of sound that way. It's just sometimes it's a little bit of bitterness where like we wish we could have as much openness as they can. But also I think because we've unfortunately gone through some like racism in the queer community from white queers and just I think sometimes they don't understand their privilege because they like to use their queerness as like to set them apart and like make them have a reason to I don't know not complain I feel like in the specific instance of someone I know she was completely accepted by her family she had a girlfriend she was able to come out to her family and introduce her girlfriend within like a couple of months and I know she definitely struggled a little bit at the end of the day her family was very supportive and the girlfriend comes over often and it's just kind of accepting in her home and after I told her my coming out story of how my mom reacted, she made it about herself. And just, I don't think she understood how I can't express myself the way she does. And it's it has to do a lot with the intersectionality of my race as well. Exactly. Like hair, for example, is very- It's really important. Yeah, yeah. important. So, like I would not be, able, I, I still am barely allowed to cut my hair, let alone like dye my whole head blue. Let's say my mom knew how much dyed hair was associated with being queer no way i would be able to do yeah that. exactly and for me my hair is just very culturally important to me it i have very curly hair mm-hmm. and my hair is a source of pride for me yeah yep. so for example she had shaved her head mm. and while there's nothing wrong with shaving your head i think there's also nothing wrong with not wanting to shave your head yeah i it, it comes back to what we talked about in the beginning where like being queer is also about expressing who you are but you don't have to fit someone else's version of queerness. exactly like you can there's I, no picture of what queerness looks exactly. like like that's why i have some some issues when people are oh, she looks straight especially as like a femme presenting person especially in the like lesbian woman woman relationships like you often hear that and it's that's not fair like yeah how, why am i supposed to be doing performative queerness for you yeah. like i don't want to do that yeah but again i want to put a disclaimer in here that we are not against <laughs> white queers i personally and S has personally also just had some racist encounters yeah. with white queers and the intersectionality of being 
queer while also being a person of color. So, yeah. Do you want to yes, talk yes, about yes, your yeah. first crush? On a woman? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I My first crush on a woman, I was working at this restaurant and she like was very openly a lesbian she was dating someone at the time but and i was also dating someone at the time it's not but it wasn't like i was going to tell her or anything i just felt this attraction towards her and i couldn't understand it Mm. and i never told her she is never going to know (laughs) but yeah it was just like and i've also told my boyfriend about this that (laughs) i liked her because i again i'm a very honest person i don't like keeping things from people but yeah she was like you could say quote unquote my bi awakening Mm. because she was the first person that I looked at and spent so much time with and I was like I kind of want to spend more time with this Mm. person and I like I hadn't accepted myself during that time so yeah I think for me so I, I mentioned how like throughout my schooling I kind of had thoughts here and there. I think one in particular is when I was a kid, I was I didn't realize being around someone or wanted to be someone's friend. I think I can now discern. I just like liked them. Mm-hmm. Like I remember there was this girl who had very pretty blue eyes and like brown hair. And I was in sixth grade and we had this activity where we had to become partners with someone and like learn about them. And I would I was literally following her discreetly. I know it's creepy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to be creepy. I just wanted to be her friend, but I guess I like liked her. Um, whatever it's fine (laughs) but I think my first real crush was was my like sweet mate roommate kind of first quite queer I met and I think because well some of it I had a I had a whack personality whenever I was with them which is why I think our friendship ended up not turning out the best but again that was my fault it wasn't their fault if this person ever hears I'm very sorry (laughs) I, I know I was not the greatest person back then but with this person it's just like it was so strong. It was exactly for me like how when I when I had a crush on a guy where I think my personality is I can f- picture a future with them or like mm-hmm. I want to date them like things like that and I I really I really liked spending time with this person and like at the end of the day I realized gender didn't really matter. There's th- that at that time there was things about both gen- both genders that I very much appreciated and liked for dis- different reasons and that's kind of what like fueled me to like look at celebrities or like other things and in the same article by Bayalder, she discusses the implications of conversion therapy when you think of conversion therapy you probably imagine the most disgusting and vile things however conversion therapy can also include doctors giving a medical diagnosis of sexual disorder or telling patients that their queerness is abnormal the conversation around conversion therapy often centers around the illegal or disgusting nature of the treatments that doctors and healthcare professionals prescribe people but it can also be the mindset gap in accepting lgbtq plus identities in medical practices okay so when you came out to your parents did they ask about any medical procedures that would confirm your queerness or like how did that go yeah so my mom and i had a whole discussion about me on neuroscience research behind queerness she was just curious about like whether you can scientifically prove if someone was queer or not and it kind of hurt But then at the same time, I took this class last year called The Psychology of Sexuality. And in that class, I learned about the mosaic brain theory. So according to Sex Beyond the Genitalia, the Human Brain Mosaic by Daphna, Joel, Zohar Berman, and Ido Tavor, documented sex and gender differences in the brain are often taken as a support of a sexually dimorphic view of the human brain, or the female or male brain. However, such distinction would be possible only if sex and gender differences in the brain were highly dimorphic. 
The brain is not a dimorphic organ in humans. There's a spectrum on which our brains have dimorphism. All of us have quote-unquote male and quote-unquote female distinctions in the brain. This means that most of us lie somewhere in between. It is very rare to have a perfectly quote-unquote female brain or a male brain. Thus, sex and gender queer identities are probably more normal than we know. As the research paper puts it, our study demonstrates although there are sex and gender differences in the brain, humans do not belong to one of two distinct categories, the male or female brain. That's, I, I know what you said at the moment that like your mom, like it would kind of hurt what she asked, but I think like for me, it's honestly kind of cool that she was asking you about it. Not that I'm saying that was any, but I think her like, having some inkling of wanting to even know more about it was it's just interesting like I hope at least one day like my parents can get somewhere there or at least my mom I think she just doesn't understand at all and is not willing to understand and I think you were mentioning there's a lot of ideas in Indian society where it's just seen as a mental illness I think I took that same sexuality class as you and our professor defined when they thought homosexuality is a mental illness because that's, like, that's what they thought before, but when they realized it didn't inhibit people's ability to do work, it's like not considered a mental illness, but I think that mentality still prevails because British colonization in <laughs> India, just saying. Go to our first episode. <laughs> I, yes, our first episode, because if we remember that like queerness is very documented in the Kama Sutra. So I think if, if I were to give this to my dad, he might understand it more, but I think deep, deep deep down he really just wants me to be straight they use the phrase you never know what's gonna happen i think mm. they want to rely on that but when i get to a place where i can be i think you need to understand love for women will not die but my love for men might come back but you just need to be ready for that because the way it came out was i no fiber in my body will ever want to be with a man <laughs> so i think that kind of scared them and i understand why but i just was feeling so intensely at that time so but i think this idea i I'm someone who loves science too, and just the idea that maybe science can back us up a little bit helps, but I think regardless, I think there's a lot, it's like tricky to understand, but I think I'm st- I, I still feel valid in how I feel. Yep. Yeah. I'm really glad that the mosaic brain theory exists because it does give the validation of the queer community, whether you're part of the trans community or just identify as gay or a lesbian or bi, but... I think it gives a lot of scientific backing as well because I found myself wanting the scientific backing and wanting to know more about how our brains differ neurobiologically being queer or being straight or being somewhere on the spectrum because again sexuality is a spectrum. All right kind of a personal question I just like like moving away from the topic but what was the hardest part about coming out for you? So me as a bisexual woman, I have a boyfriend who I've been dating for about three and a half years, almost four years. So having him in my life, I've been very open and honest about my queerness and my wanting to experiment at one point and things like that. But the hardest part about coming out for me was just accepting myself because I very much love my boyfriend and I still wanted to experiment, but I realized that I need that emotional connection with someone. I can't just go out and date someone. So I still had so much love for him. So I definitely can't experiment without 
just breaking things off and mm-hmm. I just feel it that's not a good a good enough reason for me in my heart to break up with him because I know that I eventually still want to end up with him and I think coming out to my mom we don't talk about my bisexuality at all or discuss queerness in the house because I have him as a crutch and I say crutch because had he been a girl my story would have been really different. I would have had to validate myself to my mom every single day. Anytime she came over, I would have to get ready for my mom's stairs or whatever she would do. But yeah, having him kind of there to stabilize my life mm-hmm. <laughs> is, yeah, is nice. But it was really hard for me to navigate my queerness while also having a boyfriend at the same time because he was there throughout my entire coming out story. Yeah, and I think I've, I've heard a lot of stories, especially from bisexual women who are with men. It's just, they just, people just think you're going through a phase, which it's really not. And that also comes specifically in the queer community. And I think specifically bisexual people have a hard time because you're not straight enough for the straight people and you're not gay enough for the gay people. Where I've seen like talks or I've seen like conversations where it's like, you should pick a side. You should either be very straight or very gay. And it's, it's kind of frustrating to see how people can't understand that you can just love so many people like at the end of the day it's not like a perverse thing it's just i love a person like how is that harmful which yeah. is like it's it's like when you come to the root of it it's just surprising people don't have empathy for that mm-hmm. so i really understand like because it comes back to you don't do performative queerness it can be really difficult because you might feel like you have to validate yourself as a queer person because you're in a straight passing relationship but i i hope more queer people understand it. There's so many other difficulties. And yes, while you're not going to be in public with a woman and someone's going to throw something at you, you still have feelings for women and it's still your identity. So I respect that. Yeah. What about you? What was the hardest part of you coming out? I think just navigating family. I'm glad my sister's there with me. And deep down, I knew she was just going to be there, but I think I'm glad she's on my side. I was just the shock of not of the parent not accepting me and I think I'm always going to be in constant fear because now it's a it's a certain that there is a part of my family who does not like this and does not want this to happen and is going to ignore this as much as possible and going to try to change me and I think it's but this experience has made me realize how much my parents and my relationship was a farce in terms of like I, I like got to realize how much I do for them and how much I sacrifice who I am for them. And it, it sounds silly. At this point, it kind of feels like it's conditional love, not unconditional. Kind of where I, I know deep down they love me and I really, I understand that. But I, I think they want me to some like, quote unquote, think long term. And it's frustrating that they can't trust me to make my decisions and that I have to adjust my life for them. And it's even more frustrating that I have to, in terms of my relationship, I'll always have to hide that until they're ready for that and I have to sneak around. And I don't think they realize that I have to lie to them in order for me to be happy because they don't understand. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be mad about me lying, but it's always just the cyclical thing of why didn't you tell me because you don't accept, but that's not right. And just navigating all this and not being able to express how upsetting this is and that my identity is just not a phase because this comes back to generational trauma where our parents went through something so difficult that I will never understand, like immigrating. 
but they also don't understand how hard it is to be an Asian American or a South Asian American where I've had to navigate so many things and now my identity being one, they have no context for that and I think they're always going to belittle it and not appreciate it. Yeah, I think especially being a child of an immigrant, it's hard to navigate where you belong because it sounds so cliche, but it's so real. For me, at least, a personal example is living here, growing up, experiencing racism. And as I'm growing up, it's like, when I was younger, of course, I was blind to it, kind of, because I didn't know what racism was. But now that I know, I see all the microaggressions. I see everything. I see the looks. Like, so growing up here, it's like, I don't belong here. And then when I go to India and see my family, they're like, you can't even speak Marathi you well I can speak Marathi but I don't speak it so fluently like I speak English and you live in America you have an American accent you go to American schools you have white friends you have black friends you have friends that aren't Indian not all of my friends are Indian so it's like you don't fit in either world Mm -hmm. and it's so real the last time I went to India I actually cried because I was I haven't seen this part of my family in over a decade Mm -hmm. and I don't feel like I'm part of this family because they don't even know who I am and of course they want to know who I am but it's just I don't belong yeah essentially no I I totally get that it's like I I first and foremost will call myself a South Asian American I, I consider myself an American but that identity is hard to navigate and I think the culture is going to come with it I can't just live by my parents' expectations of how to live. Like, I'm going to grow from outside experience. But because they don't understand that, I'm disjointed in between. I feel like we talked about this before, but all everywhere, everything, all at once, that movie, the, the one that won an award, whatever. <laughs> really, I feel broken in, in between two worlds where I'm, like, not... I'm definitely not Indian enough in India. Like, I could not live there. I don't think I could survive. But here, it's... I just have to make so many adjustments just because of the color of my skin or like who I am and also now my queerness and I I think that's also why my family's scared of and it's just fear of me being queer because they know how much more I'm going to get discriminated against and conveying that I know that to them is so challenging because they still think of me as their little girl. Yeah. I don't know how this relates, but I just this also comes with their stereotypical notions of a queer person. You were mentioning cross-dressing, and even my, my parents were I, I just, just dress feminine for us. Like, you don't have to like, cut your hair short. You don't have to do that. Like, I think they have a notion that, like, all gay women have short hair and, like, are masculine. But it's frustrating. Maybe someday I might do that. But it's they're already trying to control that aspect mm-hmm. of my life. So. Yeah. I kind of wanted to touch on... We talked about everything everywhere all at once. Um... Coming out to my mom was a hard journey, but it also taught me a lot about the mindset of an immigrant and how it is hard for her as well. She's coming to this new country. She has no idea how to navigate it. She doesn't speak the language very well. She has an accent, so she's being discriminated against. And then all all of that happens, and now she has to raise a child in this completely new country where the child learns all these different parts of the American culture and they want different things than she's grown up with. So I understand from her perspective and we've kind of talked about this a lot where 
she understands how hard it is for me but growing up now that I'm maturing as a person I also understand how hard it is for her I can't imagine like, and she grew up in a very small village in Mumbai and she she didn't have that many other outside influences in her life it was a lot of like school and then coming exactly, home exactly. and I went to her village it's very beautiful it's kind of like the Ford villages that they had it was run by a company okay so everyone who lived in that okay. for worked for that company and all the houses and everything were supplied by that company so yeah she didn't live in a very big house there's six people in one small mm-hmm. like the size of this room yeah. which isn't very big <laughs> so I understand it was a very hard thing for her to navigate of coming here and all I know and all she has drilled in my brain is that she always has wanted a better life for me than she's had. Mm-hmm. So I completely understand that. And I think my queer- queerness was just something she was like, I'm very uneducated about this. And of course, her questions hurt. But at the end of the day, I knew they came from a good place. Yeah, I, I, I totally echo that where like, I'm the first, I'll be the first one to defend how hard an immigrant's life is. And especially my parents, especially South Asian people. Like, I can firsthand see how much they struggle. Like, they've told me so many things. I just, I have an issue, though, because I feel like with at least a lot of South Asian kids feel like their parents in- invalidate any struggles they have. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, or m- a- many queer people, are very, un- like, we understand to whatever degree we can and how hard their life was here and that they wanted a better life for their kid. I just think they go about it in a way that doesn't support the child and it's more about prevention tactics and if they truly want their kid to be happy and if that's truly the goal i think that then listening to the kid is like or it's i'm not even a kid i'm an adult listening to your adult child is important and that's that's at least personally where i'm struggling is they haven't made the distinction that i'm their adult kid Mm -hmm. i'm not a child anymore and while I did realize this part of myself when I was a kid, it doesn't invalidate who I am. And I think because they've seen me as this kid that they need to protect this, this their whole life. And like you said, they want a better life for me. I, I, I think that's why they're so fearful and protective. But what they don't understand or realize are two things is like, first, this is how I ensure I have a better life. Mm-hmm. Like if I was stuck with the person who I like, physically could not be with I don't physically just could not love yeah Yeah. physically could exactly physically couldn't love or like it's for me it sometimes causes a physical negative reaction where it's so stressful and like a visceral reaction exactly it's like a I don't hate men (laughs) but I think the idea of being in a relationship with them is just I could never emotionally connect with a man like I do a woman like Mm -hmm. I, I I have tried and there could be a perfect man but there are already so many perfect women where I don't need that perfect man I can get my perfect woman yeah and maybe the second thing I I, I realized and something my therapist I'm matching my therapist a lot because therapy is good um (laughs) that she told me is they've already gone through so many hard things they're gonna get through this but I don't know if you will and that kind of hit me because it's not that I'm a weak person who hasn't gone through hard things I think it's just the emotional trauma that I've been through this and dealing with this it's hard to see how easily I can get to the other side. Whereas I know they've been through so much difficulty that they'll be okay. Yeah. How has coming out impacted your mental health? So it's been really rough 
to be honest, I think this is, I've gone through some other stuff in my life, like in the past where I've been at low lows, but I think this has come at another different type of low because in those times I felt like I had family to rely on specifically I had my parents that whom I could I felt like I could like trust and talk to but I think now that's been like pulled for me and I, I don't unfortunately I don't feel like I can trust my parents with any part of my emotions which is very stressful to go through and additionally with this a couple weeks or two weeks after there was probably another super random traumatic thing that happened specifically violence and that was also super traumatizing but I think I mentioned this earlier that the other traumatizing things that happened still could not compare to coming out I think that was still the most the thing that like hurts me the most today and I think I'm still coping and there I'm, I still get triggered to that day and it's kind of sad because it's supposed to be a moment where I share my identity so I think right now, maybe in a year I'll be better, but it's because it's so new. I'm super fearful and anxious, mostly because in regards to my relationship with my parents, they're more now in surveillance mode and prevention tactics instead of trying to understand who I am. Because A, they're either in disbelief and want to prevent me from thinking about that because the next journey of my life is higher level schooling and they don't want me to focus on my identity even though it's just a part of me so it's been super tricky to navigate and I some days are good and some days are bad but luckily I have a support system whom I could talk to but it's not great <laughs> yeah do you um, want to talk a little bit more about how you got therapy after after coming out because I know that getting a therapist was like very hard for you because you had to navigate talking to your parents about that as well yeah so I think after coming out, it was finally the last straw of me just like just being like, I need to get a therapy. Like earlier in my life, I there was, I think I've struggled with some mental illness in terms of like anxiety. and But this was like the final straw for me for needing a support system in my life to help me talk through things. Specifically after I talked to my sister about this, she's like, the first thing you need to do is get a therapist. And that's one thing I love about her. She's super blunt and like open and direct about things. But basically I went to my school and I just like, I needed a therapist and they had a psychiatric counseling program. What was great and what I didn't expect is they were very open about how specific you wanted to get your therapist. And I think this is probably the only time I'll get to be super specific of who I, who I want to choose. The person I have is while they're not a person of color, they're very aware of their privilege as a white person. Like the first book I noticed in the room was White Fragility and how we can talk about it. And the first session with them, they're like, I know I'm white, but I think we can get through this. And she understands cultural values and can really tie that in. So I appreciate that about her. She's also queer. So she uses any pronouns and is married to a woman. So. This also kind of quelled some of my fears my parents planted into my brain because of how is your future going to work out? And I'm, my therapist is married to a woman and they're clearly fine. So I think just being with them and them understanding queer politics because I would have preferred someone queer over a person of color because queerness is such a unique thing. Not that a lot of people don't have it. It's just that, or not have it, like experience it. But it's, it's so hard to navigate because as white queers will tell you, you're still gonna be mistreated if you are a queer person anywhere around the world. 
So, yeah. Yeah. How about Uh, you? (laughs) Being queer, at least for me, I've had a therapist since my senior year of high school. My depression got so bad that my mom actually just got concerned and she was like, do you need help? And I was like, no, I'm fine. Because <laughs> I was scared because I knew that she wasn't very for therapy, but she was like, if you're getting to this point, you might need it. But yeah, I was like, I, at first I was like, no, it's fine. I'll get through this. She's like, mm. people pleasing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't want her to be like upset with me. But yeah. at the end of the day, she was like, if this is something you need, I love you and I will support you, which was really nice. But specifically talking about coming out and impacting my mental health, when I came out to my mom, I just felt very disgusted with myself because of, I don't know, maybe it's my anxiety or maybe it's just her emotions just reflecting back on me. But yeah, I just felt like, okay, yeah, am I wrong? Is this actually a phase? And I kept like rethinking everything that she was asking me. And she's like, "Mm, this is probably just a phase. And I was, because I would go through days where I'm like, I don't know if I'm attracted to women anymore because of this experience. (laughs) But at the end of the day, I knew the truth was that's not going to go away. But yeah, it it took me a while to realize it's very normal. It's okay. She has questions that might hurt, but they don't mean to hurt you. And I mean, again, like we haven't really talked about it too much because I have a boyfriend and I don't want to start World War Three in my house. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, we just don't talk about it anymore, which kind of hurts, but it's just a part of life, I guess, living as a South Asian, American, South Asian queer. It's like, things, so, yeah. yeah. Things, things get put back on the closet or things get suppressed. Yeah. And, like, it's it's like the Encanto song. We don't talk about Bruno. Like, yeah. We don't talk about things, like, we're going to... Per- pretend that we even had this conversation like sometimes I'm even doubting if I even came out because like, it's yeah. so hidden yeah but then I like feel all these like but then you I, remember the crying and like everything you're like yeah. there's no way they forgot they yeah, did all that exactly. and like I feel the aggressions day in and day out like yeah. yesterday oh my god I was literally you know the the gender sexuality shirt I have from school it's literally a free shirt it's not like I went out to buy it yeah it has a rainbow like, of course, this my mom definitely noticed because she's like, what shirt is that? And I'm like, oh, it's some random shirt. And she's like, yeah. And then I literally put my phone down, switched my shirt around, and continued my day. Because I was like... We're just not going to talk about I just about can't. This. Like, because I know eventually it's going to turn into her being like, no, you, you can't do this. And yeah. I, I think I'm at the moment or time period where I, I can't even... I personally can't even have the conversation with her because I'm... I think they're going to... they're they're gonna need me to be like emotionally stable for for, I need to be emotionally stable to have this conversation with them like if they see any sign of weakness I think they'll attack Mm. so yeah thanks for sharing that so going off of that mental health is a huge thing that is impacted when coming out and or expressing yourself as a queer individual you can refer back to our first episode where we discussed the impacts of British colonization on our culture and how it has led to the stigmatization of being queer I talked about Mohan Tanushree's book in which he interviews different organization leaders of the LGBTQ plus movement in India and discusses mental health impacts of being out and the lack of mental health resources for people in India due to the lack of acceptance and education about queer individuals. In this episode, however, I want to focus on the mental health of queer South Asian Americans. There's a lot of invisibility of our specific demographic, thus there's not a lot of research on South Asian American queers. This podcast exists 
to change some of that. There is a group called Samhaj, a program that exists to tackle the silence and stigma around LGBTQ plus identities in South Asian communities. Samhaj, S-A-M-H-A-J, is run by the National Alliance on Mental Illness of New Jersey, NAMI NJ. South Asians are the fastest growing Asian American ethnic group in the U.S. And the group Samhaj facilitates the conversation around the acceptance of LGBTQ plus individuals into their families and in the community. In an article titled, How LGBTQ Plus Members in the South Asian Diaspora Navigate Stigma and Stress by Amanant Golhar, they discuss the shame and stigma that is associated with being queer and how this affects people's relationships with their families and friends. When Aruna Rao came out to her family as queer in 2015, she wanted to be able to support her family in receiving this information. She knew that it would be seen as a matter of grief for family members to have a queer child. However, when she found resources that were meant for people like her, she she described feeling invisible and uncomfortable. There are not many resources available to help diaspora families. Aruna later founded her own called the Desi Rainbow Parents and Allies in 2017 to help people like her overcome these challenges. A link to this will be provided in the show notes. You can register for family support groups, peer groups, and just support groups with other LGBTQ plus South Asian individuals. We as South Asians crave family acceptance and hold family to the highest regard. The Desi Rainbow recognizes that and gives parents and family members a place to meet one another and discuss how to support their children. It allows South Asian queer kids to be seen, accepted, and affirmed, Rao says. I think a, a final last important note to talk about is the pervasion of sexual violence in the South Asian community and the intersectionality with the queer community as well. I think I saw like a, a, a statistic that bisexual women are the most people in the queer community to, to experience sexual violence. And sexual violence is something that's very stigmatized in the South Asian community because a lot of the blame is seen on, on the woman or the person who is attacked. You have some final thoughts you want to add on that. Yeah, so I wanted to touch on that important topic because it's all too often swept under the rug. Queer individuals in South Asian American communities face sexual violence. It is hard to come out about sexual violence that they face because the community stigma already surrounding their identity and the invisibility and disproportionate representation of us in the media and in general. In sexual violence among LBG plus South Asian Americans, findings from a community survey by Shahamir H. Ali and colleagues. The aim of this study was to evaluate the experiences of sexual violence among LBG plus South Asian Americans and evaluate differences in sexual violence related attitudes and mental health outcomes between LGB plus and heterosexual South Asian Americans. They found that overall LGB plus South Asian Americans displayed a disproportionate burden of sexual violence and depression. Out of the 385 responses that they recorded, 24.1% or 93 of the participants identified as lesbian, gay, or bisexual. In the bivariate analysis, the LGB plus participants were more likely to experience contact-based sexual violence and rape multiple times as compared to their heterosexual counterparts. Furthermore, the LGB plus participants reported a higher prevalence of both moderate to severe depression and PTSD as a result of the sexual violence. In conclusion, the invisibility of this demographic of people has caused a lot of disproportionate physical and mental health health care in regard to sexual violence. It is a huge issue that needs to be addressed and improved by healthcare policies and more education about the acceptance and affirmation of South Asian American queer identities. I think also a really important note on that that I hope like 
like sexual violence prevention workshops or think tanks or groups really do is understand the Asian American experience in sexual violence because even personally like I'm, I was involved in an organization and I feel like um, in, involved in combating sexual violence and I think the Asian American story is always swept aside and it's very little. I think we spent the least amount of time with that even though so much of us are affected. Not that I'm pitting any race groups against each other, I just feel like it's time for our voices to be heard in these spaces um, so people can better understand us and allow our stories to resonate with people and allow people, allow kids and, and girls and boys and whomever to not feel alone because I think our narrative is pushed to the side and we're often, again, just seen as that model minority. Thank you so much for listening to episode three of The Hidden Rainbow. Again, the link for The Daisy Rainbow will be linked in our show notes. If you or anyone you know as a South Asian queer individual are struggling with their identity and or struggling with familial acceptance, let them know of The Daisy Rainbow organization. I hope you learned a few new things today. Tune in for our next episode where we will be interviewing Z, an international student from China who will be discussing censorship in China and their experience with coming out with friends and their experience with being an Asian queer from China in America.